BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am Divorced Not Dead. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for the happily ever after? Does our love story really have to be one great lengthy novel, or can we be happy with a book of short but exciting love stories? I guess we'll find out on Divorced Not Dead. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. try to like spin pressure in a positive way. So I always say like, if you don't feel pressure, you're not doing something right. But I think like pressure and expectations are two different things. So like, I'm totally fine with feeling pressure and like feeling nervous, but then expectations are like people wanting you to do well, but it's also like, if you don't do well, then like there's something wrong with you. And it's not necessarily like a standard you put on yourself. It's what someone else puts on you. And so that was tough. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod. I hope you are just as excited as I am for today's guest, the legend herself, Catherine Plummer, known to her homies as Plum Dog. She is here today to talk about so many things. This was a really fun one for me because I had played against Catherine for three years in the Pac-12. And of course, I knew her as an iconic outside hitter for the Stanford women's volleyball team but I never got to speak with her or get to know her. And so today I get to pick her brain and hear all about her, her life, the team, and volleyball. For those of you who don't know Catherine, it's important that you know she is one of the most decorated NCAA volleyball players in history. She led her Stanford team to three NCAA Division I championship titles, was named the NCAA Player of the Year two years in a row, and Catherine is the only player in history to win F- IVB World Championship medals in both indoor and beach volleyball. So yes, we worship. We are going to talk about pressure. We are going to talk about mental health. We are going to talk about playing for a natty. Catherine's even going to reveal the food she ate before every championship win, which will 100% shock you and so much more. So get ready to hear Catherine as she gets as real and raw as ever in this episode of RealPod. Help me give it up one more time for the amazing Catherine Plummer.
All right, Catherine Plummer, I'm so excited to have you here. Everyone is hyped you're here too. I got I asked for questions and the the majority of the questions were ask her what magic she has. Ask her how she's such a queen. Like everyone believes you're an icon, rightfully so. You've earned icon status. What does it feel like looking back on your college career and just knowing everything that you and the team accomplished? Looking back on four years, it like went by so fast and you're like, oh, okay, we did a lot of things in those, I guess, three, three and a half years, whatever. But it's like, oh my goodness. Like it didn't like feel like we had that much success or like that we had a bunch of awards on our team or whatever. But like, then you look back on it and you see the national championships and like all the All-Americans and the awards. And you're like, wow, our team was good. Like, well, it didn't feel like that. No. You're like, we had the best libero in the nation, the best setter. We had the best middles. We had the best outside, which is myself. Like it was insane. And I'm hyped because I'm such a volleyball nerd and like a volleyball fan. So I am not someone to be, I guess some people can be like, you know, but we can take them. I was definitely like, no, Stanford all time. Like just playing against you guys was, was just unreal. And so, yeah, I'm just pumped to talk to you today and get all the juicy goss and hear about what your four years was like. (laughs) Full of gossip if you want it, but I don't know if you want all of it. (laughs) Oh, I want all of the gossip. We can just start. Actually, one of my questions was going to be, what's your, what was your favorite team of the four years? We can start there and then I'm sure we'll dive into stories. That's a tough one. But I would say, honestly, this last one, I think just because we were like seniors and like we took a bunch of leadership responsibility, but also like the freshmen were so goofy and like fun. Like what we felt, everybody else was like, that's how you guys were at like when you were freshmen. And I'm like, I was that weird. I was that goofy. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I really loved them. But I think this last year, just because it was like our last, like there was lots of lasts. And so I think we just embraced everybody. We embraced the team and all the experiences that we did. So that's what made it the most fun for me. And there's lots more challenges just because we had all of those leadership roles and stuff. But at the same time, like as an athlete, like you want those challenges. And so I think that was what made it the best for me, at least. It intrigues me that your favorite season is not necessarily the one where the most achievement happened, right? I'd be thinking maybe it was, oh, when we had five starting freshmen and we won the national championship. Yet you're looking back based on the things that maybe we don't see on the court or on the stat sheet. Exactly. Like, yeah, like I said, well, like you said, our freshman year, we had four starters that were freshmen and then two others that were like coming into the lineup. And so it was definitely like a lot. And I think that was probably the season that gets lost a lot of the time for me, at least because we were freshmen and like, we didn't really know like what we were doing and we didn't understand like the enormity of it or like what having four freshmen on the court meant or what what that meant for other teams. And so, like it didn't like really seem like that big of a deal to me. And so I don't think I like grasped it. Was it like ignorance is bliss kind of? Yes, definitely. Like we were very, very naive. Like we got to like the final match and like, oh, like this is really cool. And we like didn't understand it. But now like my senior year, like we totally understood that. And because we got to the final match with like all of the challenges that happened that whole year, it just that much sweeter to me. I relate and I don't want to, I'm not trying to compare this to you guys winning a natty, but my freshman year, we were number one in the country. I don't mean you're ahead of you. So you weren't in college yet. Right. And we just won like every single game in the conference. And I was just like, good game. It was always positive. And then my sophomore year, 
we were, we didn't have Sam. We were suddenly losing every game. And I was like, wait, this, this sucks. Yeah. I'm like, I thought we just win all the time. Like you come in as a freshman and you just kind of do what they tell you to do. And then you realize how much harder it is. When did you feel yourself make a switch where you finally realized, or maybe you had that come to moment of, oh, this is hard because it's interesting how some athletes can excel at an extremely high level and not even be aware of it. And then once that awareness comes in, it's almost harder to stay at that level. Oh, I completely agree. So my freshman year, we started off like really shaky. We lost like seven games in that season. So we lost, I think throughout my whole career, we lost like nine or 10 and seven of them came my freshman year. Weren't you setting in the beginning of that too? Oh, uh, I was playing opposite. Thank God I wasn't setting. That would have been it. <laughs> that would have made us even worse. <laughs> um, but as a freshman, I was like, okay, this is cool. And like, we're just getting into it. And then I think the challenge started to come sophomore year just because we had just one as freshman. So there was more expectations set on us. And it's like, okay, because if you don't win now, after you won a national championship, like, what does that say about you? And that's at least how I felt. And so then our sophomore year, we had to take on more leadership roles. And like, we were always on the court and like everybody's expecting us to just always be good. And so that's kind of when it hit me that, oh, crap, this is a challenge and like, we got to figure it out. How did you handle those expectations? I mean, the pressure was extreme. I mean, I always try to like spin pressure in a positive way. So I always say like, if you don't feel pressure, you're not doing something right. But I think like pressure and expectations are two different things. So like, I'm totally fine with feeling pressure and like feeling nervous and feeling all those like jittery butterflies, because I think that's like, oh, okay. Like you care and like you have put yourself in a position to like where people want you to do well. But then expectations are like people wanting you to do well, but it's also like if you don't do well, then like there's something wrong with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like your standard is now tremendously higher than the normal person's standard. Yeah, and it's not necessarily like a standard you put on yourself. It's what someone else puts on you. And so that was tough. I talked to my family a lot that my sophomore year, especially because like we were just learning how to figure it out and all of us were in it. So we're like, I think all of us were struggling with that. So I, I like look to like friends outside of volleyball and my family and stuff like that to help me through that, which I think is important because friends outside of your sport that you're like not around all the time are super valuable and they could be athletes in another sport or they could be like athletes not involved in sports at all. But I think like having that outlet is something that all athletes need or should have or want if they don't have it. So did you feel like those friends saw you as not? Catherine Plummer, the volleyball player. And maybe that's why you loved that from them because in this other world, everyone has these expectations. It's almost like you're Hannah Montana. <laughs> you go, you go back at night to your friends and they're like, we know her as Molly. That's like the weirdest <laughs> comparison I could ever make. <laughs> that's actually a very good like comparison. But yes, I don't those friends, they were athletes, so they played on the baseball team. And like when I went back to like they all lived together, like, on campus. It was called, like, suites. And when I went back to their suite, like, it just was, like, a breath of fresh air. And I felt like I could be, like, completely myself. I didn't talk about volleyball once. And, like, I just built friendships that I know will last a lifetime. And one of those friends ended up becoming my boyfriend. So it just, like, you got to get really Which, close by the way, I love him. He's the best <laughs> ever. Speaking of the questions I ask people to submit in, he sends something in. Just tell her I love her more than anything, and she makes me the happiest <laughs> every day. <laughs> Um, he's so cute (laughs) he's the best guy so oh my god I love that it sounds like you had the pressure but 
clearly you had a way of managing it. How did you prevent it from becoming something more difficult, like an anxiety, like feeling a panicking heartbeat? I'm certainly someone that wasn't able to keep that barrier up. And I don't know if maybe that is something you experienced, but there is this level of management where you can handle it, the nerves, the butterflies, and then there's, whoo, now I'm dealing with like performance anxiety. Yeah, I don't got to that point necessarily like where I like felt this or like I felt panicky but there was definitely times where I was like this like today and like I don't want to go to this because like it was just a I'm getting emotional um <laughs> just those outlets really helped me because it kind of let me escape from that's what helped me like escape from the anxiety and maybe like I felt it and I was like okay I gotta find an outlet to get it out maybe that's what happened but I don't know <laughs> I want to touch on this because I obviously see it in you and I see it in myself. And it's like, part of me looks back and is like, wow, what an incredible four years. Like, I loved this. It was awesome. But then there is a part of me that like wants to cry and be really sad about it. And so I'm like, I'm torn. I'm like, I'm like, how is the thing I love the most also so painful? Yet I absolutely don't want to stop doing it, but it's not easy to do. I completely agree. Like sometimes like it gets to be like, you love playing volleyball. Like you love it with all your heart. But then sometimes you're like, do I like it? Like, does that make sense? <laughs> you're like, this takes up so much of my life. Like, what would I be doing without it? Like, you kind of like start thinking about that, but then you're like, okay, but like I have practice tomorrow and I love it. And so there's like a back and forth. The, the biggest help I think student athletes can have is things outside of our sport because so much of our time is consumed by practice and by the scouting report, and by the team group text, and by, and it's just like having that escape is, is so important. What year did you realize that that aspect, and let's call it self-care, right? Like having that extra part of your life was important to your routine. Yeah, I think end of my sophomore year, we're on the quarter system. So season is like all through fall, and then we have winter and spring. And so I think like winter, that became important to me. Like when we were kind of doing like the eight hours a week, but I was also playing beach during the winter. Oh yeah. You guys did that. That's an animal. Yeah. Did you even have a choice? I would have been like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. And I loved, like, I loved beach. And so after my sophomore year, I stopped because I was just like, I need to focus on indoor. But honestly, I think that sophomore year, it helps me kind of like regroup from indoor and all of, all of those expectations and like outward, I guess, pressures. But I think, trying to find an outlet I got into like watching other sports on YouTube like literally I would watch gymnastics on YouTube until like 12 30 just because I thought it was so cool <laughs> like other things on YouTube I'm obsessed with James Charles and I know you are too oh my god yes did you see my thing the other day I'm obsessed and so and like Jeffree Star and all of those makeup gurus so like I got into that so I, I think I've hung out with my friends I like talked with my family like every day and I started like getting into other things. And so that's kind of what helped me. How did you handle all the statistics and the metrics and the percentages and all of those? Because it was always, I mean, I I know this just from being in the Pac-12. It was like Catherine Plummer hits this percentage. Catherine Plummer with 36 kills. Catherine Plummer, like, did that get in your head at all? Did you actively go into games thinking, oh, I want to win player of the week. I want to do this. How did you handle that? Because at least as a libero, I was always worried about my stats. Yeah, I think 
it started more my sophomore year because freshman year, like I said, I was just like very naive. And then sophomore year, like I became one of the go-to players. And so like after I made an error, I was like, okay, that's like, I've had five attempts. I've, I got three kills and I have an error. So now I'm like two for five. And that would literally be going through my head like during the game. And I'm like, get, Catherine, get your stuff together. Like <laughs> you have to be you wow. have to hit this percentage. Like in order to be good, considered like a good outside, you have to hit 250 or above and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't think I would, even if I hit lower, like I wasn't going to not play like the next game. Cause like they had complete trust in me. But at the same time, I was like, if you don't do this, like you might not play. And so that kind of went through my head. I was definitely like, into stats and it's mostly with like attacking because passing is a whole nother story. Like if I had a bad game in passing, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, but like, it, I feel like attacking was like completely in my control and I was definitely like keeping track in my head. And I think that happened like sophomore and junior year. And then senior year when I was out, I was like, that doesn't really matter at all. And I was like seeing the freshman play and some, like some games that would play awesome and some games like they would struggle. And I'm like, okay, but like they're in it and like they're playing well. And so I think that shifted my mindset a little bit to where I was like, I mean, I can't play right now. And when I can play, like, I know I'm just going to want to embrace it. And that's what happened for me. And so like my senior year, when I actually got to play again, I was like, this is so much fun. And I don't think I've ever smiled as much or like talked as much on the court or anything. Like I, like when I got down that like barrier of, okay, whatever your attacking percentage is, is what like makes you a good volleyball player. Like I loved it even more. Knowing that this senior year where it seemed a little more lax for you was the one you look at with like the, probably the most joy. What were the seasons like, and we can even hone in on like one or two in securing the bag in winning the national championship. I don't know how things ran at Stanford. I would love to know. (laughs) I would love to know like what the secrets are, at least at USC when we were our best team it was a tight ship. Like you were not forgetting a knee pad. We were wearing the same color shirt. Like it was like, it was marching a line and no one be out of beat. And that's how we had to play. And and we were winning, but as a result, you know, little Victoria Garrett got anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the ship like at Stanford and was it necessary for your guys' success? I think the ship was pretty similar. Like we like wore the same color practice shirt and like everybody showed up to weights and if you like had class up to weights like we would like start without you and then you have to like hustle up to make it up but it never really felt like it was something like too extreme I don't know if that's how it felt for you but it just felt like routine like you every Monday you put on a black shirt and then you like walked out to practice and like you had to wear the same thing on like flights and I don't know it didn't really seem like that big of a uh, thing. But I think the thing that we focused on the most after my freshman year was culture building. And I think that was like our ship that like helped us get through the expectations that were set on us. So my sophomore year, like we had a really great season and then we lost in the semis. And I think everything was kind of building up to that semifinal match because that game, we just like, didn't play well at all. Um, and it felt like everything that we kind of had like swept under the rug was like all coming out. And so like we weren't being good teammates. We weren't communicating well with each other. Um, we were like 
getting pissed off when people made a mistake. And so like, just like, was it a good system? And then my junior and senior year, we really started to like hone in that your culture is the most important. So we would like, we would have like a book club with our whole team in preseason and we would like read a book and then talk about what that meant to you. Um, and so like, it just created a culture where like, these are our core values and like, this is what we stand upon. And when those don't get met, like you don't, you won't have the success that you want. Does that make sense? Definitely. And something I was wondering was with so many all-stars, right? Like the players I named earlier, you have Hens, you have Jenna, you have Adriana, you have Tommy Alade, you have, am I, who am I, I mean, I can name the whole roster. Was the press, was everyone coming and giving it a hundred percent every single day? Like, was that culture, we are the best, so we're going to show up and play the best. And is that why maybe you're saying any little mistakes or lack of effort here and there was so seen because the level of play around you was so elite? I think that's like a, a yes and a no question. So the level was like always like you came to practice and you wanted to like beat out people. And like when you were on like the B side, like you like wanted to earn a spot. That's like just how we went about it. But I think also like we weren't afraid to make mistakes, even though if they like would be seen, like that was part of our culture that we wanted to instill was like, if you don't make a mistake, that means you're probably not trying to like improve in something. So that stigma of making a mistake, like, and then you're not going to play wasn't necessarily true because like, if you made a mistake, you're probably trying something different. And it's like, you made the same mistake over and over. Then our coaches would be like, okay, cat, like hone it in a little bit. Like you got it. You got it. We still have to play at the same time. That was very open and necessary for our growth as a team. That's so important because the freedom to make a mistake can allow, I think, a player's ceiling to be much higher and much greater than if they're not allowed to make a mistake. Sadly, ours was the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I think like if if we like when we made a mistake, we still like got on each other. And then if you made the mistake, you're like, okay, like I'm trying to work on this. And then like once you told someone like, I'm trying to like not take this step to my right, and then you did it or you didn't do it, but it like, didn't work out. They're like, okay. Like I understand like what you're, what's happening and like what you're trying to do. But I think it helps like when you tell, if you tell your teammates, like this is what I'm, I'm trying to do. And I'm sorry if it doesn't work out. I hope you are enjoying this episode with Katherine Plummer. Speaking of college volleyball, I wanted to remind you guys that my official merch is available right now on victoriagarrick.com slash merch. You can actually order a signature jersey styled t-shirt that has the number I wore as a college volleyball player if you want to rep me and rep those memories. And there are also two hoodies available that signify my hashtag real post movement. So you can head to victoriagarrick.com slash merch right now to order your official merch. I would so appreciate it. I'm so grateful for your support. And if you order a piece or you order all of them, make sure you take a picture, tag me. I would love to let like, comment, and see you rocking the merch. All right. Thank you so much. And I will bring us right back to the episode to hear the rest of this interview with Catherine right now. Something else we've connected on in the past, which I thought was so cool, was when I first started The Hidden Opponent, my nonprofit for mental health, I reached out to you. We didn't even know each other that well. And I asked if you would send me a video for this movement. And I didn't even know if you would do it because it's about mental health and you never know what people think. And I shot my shot and you were like, of course, and you sent me this video. And it was the coolest thing because obviously I admire your play. I think you have incredible impact in the college volleyball community. And now you're going to go on and do the same professionally. 
And to see you be so down to support that, I thought was awesome. And I want to follow that up, I guess, with this question of it does. And and people being in this video, it doesn't mean like you've struggled with anything or whatnot. It just means you support this movement for athletes. And what was it maybe experiences you've had with teammates or athletes you've seen in the news that you look up to that made you someone that wanted to be a voice and a part of the student athlete mental health mission? Yeah. So I definitely wasn't always like that. Like when I was a freshman before the school year, like we always had a, our whole team had a like meeting every year and like, how do you want to be talked to on the court? And like, how do you act on the court? Like, what is like your style? In my freshman year, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like so bubbly and I love to cheer. And then when I started playing, I was like, oh my God, this is so not me. Like I am the most like introverted, quiet person on the court. Like, don't talk to me. Like, I probably won't talk to you that much. And then, so like my team was like, Catherine, like, you're not like what you said at all. I was like, I know, but like, I wanted to like fit like what I wanted to be, you know? And like that, but that just didn't work for me. (laughs) And so I was like, I I can't be that person for you guys. I'm really sorry. And then my sophomore year, I wanted to change like how I acted on the court and stuff. And then when I did that, I felt like that was like taking back in my play. And so it was like, I can either be like a really bubbly personality or like what I think my teammates need, or I can do like what I need. And then like, that'll help my team. And so that was like a very big offset and then I figured out like oh I can like still be myself but also help my team by asking what they need from me and like I can give them like little bits and pieces of like what they might need but I can also like do what I need to do and I think that is why I've like tried to make myself available to like the whole student athlete community and specifically the volleyball community is because like I know people need help and I don't want anybody to feel like they can't ask for it because like they're scared or like they want to fit this certain mold because like, that's what I was kind of trying to do. And then I realized, okay, like this isn't going to work because I am who I am. And like, if I try to like be someone I'm not, it's just not going to help me like in my personal life and like my, as a teammate and, and as a player. I love that. I think it's so important. And I'm grateful that you are doing that because as you said, the volleyball community, I love the community. It's the coolest thing ever. I mean, all the young volleyball players, I want to coach eventually. Do you ever want to coach? I've thought about it, but I don't know. I've coached like a club team before and that was really fun, but I don't know if I could like do it for a long time. Yeah. Not intensely. I'm imagining like kicking and screaming vibes. Like (laughs) I'm Will Ferrell, put me in the tracksuit. That's what I want to do. Like I'm like 45. (laughs) I'm down. Because you know, so many people were looking to you and you had the expectations. Did you ever feel like it was that much harder for you to ask for help or say, yeah, I made a mistake or, or I'm not perfect here because the expectation was you should be your Catherine Plummer. Yeah, I think that end of my junior season, I like started to embrace the fact that like my teammates don't give a crap like if I make a mistake and like I'm putting that on me. I'm keeping track of my own stats. Like they're not counting that. Like they don't care. Um they're probably worrying about themselves. And so I think I just I learned that asking for help is going to help you in the long run and then that will establish a culture where your teammates are open to asking you for help. And so it's like a back and forth. And so if someone was ever feeling in the position that I was feeling where like, I can't talk to anybody. Cause like, I'm supposed to be like the person that gets all the kills. Um, if anybody's ever like that, like I know that that won't create a good team. And so I tried to like open up and be like, okay, like, can you help me with this scene? Or like, what do you see on the other side of the court or after practice? Like, Hey, can you just like get a coffee with me? I think that was important to learn. And then in my senior year, that just grew exponentially because 
I was kind of like coming back from not playing for a while. And so like I needed more help because I was like, oh crap, this ball seems like it's coming way faster right now. Or like these, this block seems way bigger than it did before. And so like, I think just instilling that confidence in each other that like, yeah, I'm open to asking for help. And like, you can ask me was really important for our whole team. So you have mental health and you have mental toughness and there's a fine line between the two on the days when you needed to tap into that mental toughness. So when you wake up and you have an exam and you feel the weight of the world and you have practice and you have a walkthrough and then the games tomorrow, how did you get up and do it? What were things you called on? What did you say to yourself? Because there are many, many days as student athletes where you don't want to do it. It's very, very true. Some days I was like, I don't, like, I can't do it. <laughs> when you wake up and you're like, I have literally no idea. And then it's like 10 PM and you're like, I did it. <laughs> Those are the day, like off days. So we always had an off day on like usually Monday. And like, I usually had class like in the mornings. And so after that, probably after like 1230, I had nothing to do. And I was like, where did the time go? But like, also like, I didn't do anything with my life with wasn't for volleyball. <laughs> but yeah, I, some of those days were really tough. And honestly, like, I think what motivated me was that I had class. And like, if I, I was the type of person that like, even if the class was recorded, I like didn't learn well if I like, watched a screen. So I like wanted to be in class most of the time. There's some exceptions. Um, <laughs> but I was just like, okay, I have to do this because like, if I don't, like I'll hurt myself later. And another key thing at Stanford was like, we got breakfast was like our training table. And so like you had to show up. And so that was also like an external factor that was like, oh God, we have to go. Honestly, like a lot of external things like outside of my mind were what got me like to be like mentally tough a lot of those days because I had to show up. And if I didn't have to show up, I think I'm like really into music. Um, And so like looking forward to listening to a song on the drive to class or something like that. I think that would help. That helped me a lot. Ooh, what's your go-to hype song, song that gets you in that mood? I'm not really like a hype person. Like I'm not like in your face. I really like country music and like I can listen to any country song and it'll just like get me in a good mood. So I feel like it, like most country songs like tell a story and then like kind of follow along. That's kind of what got me, got me up in the mornings most days. I love that. It doesn't have to be a hype song because sometimes if you that energy, like you said, the way you play on the court is calmer, smoother, less bubbly, less chatty. That music is going to put you in a mindset that's not optimal for your performance. Definitely. Focusing in on some of these greater moments like the national championship game, what was your mentality going into those games? The things you maybe said to yourself to feel prepared or feel confident, especially knowing the stakes what were some of those things you did? So my freshman year, honestly, I had like no clue what was going on. Like there was literally nothing going on in my head. Like, oh, it's just like, we're playing Texas in the national championship. Like my friends and family are here. <laughs> and then my junior year, it was, it was bigger just because like we had lost the year before. And so everybody was expecting us to like do well. Um, and I, for me, like scouting reports and like, I'm a very like analytical person. So if you give me like numbers and like, information, I like grab onto it and hold on to it. And so I just memorized what every player was going to do. Um, this is their, this is all their offense. This is what they're going to do in every rotation. And so those are the things that like went through my mind 
before my junior and senior year, honestly. And I think my senior year, I took on an even a bigger role in that because I like helped our freshmen kind of get into that mode because as a freshman, I knew I wasn't like that. And so I was like, I'm trying to help you. Like you, you have to watch these scouting reports and like, you have to like understand because if you need to go in, like you need, like we're counting on you. And so I think those are important things. And then before all of the national championships we won, I'm like very superstitious. I, so my freshman, junior and senior year, I had a cheeseburger before both all the national championships and my sophomore year, Wait, I did it. snaps. I love this for the body image community. <laughs> cheeseburgers before national championship games. I mean, I'm not like advocating that you probably should have a cheeseburger, but like it's, <laughs> it's what I did. And I'm like really superstitious. In my sophomore year, I didn't. And we didn't go to the national championship. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like we, I ha- like literally my team like jumped on the bandwagon. They're like, we have to get Cat a cheeseburger. Like we have to win. Um, so like that's what just that's what happened. And we went with it. And then, How like, did that work with the meals they had maybe bought, brought in for dinner? Did the coaches, everything was like, we're going to get her her burger? No. So like we, we usually had meals like three to four hours before a game. And the last, the last national championship, I like ate the pregame meal there was like a salad and chicken. And then I went and got a cheeseburger. After. <laughs> <laughs> I went with my family to like this famous place in Pittsburgh. I forget what it was called. And then like, I came back and ate another meal. Um, but it just had, it was just my thing. And I did it. I'm imagining all of the like 12 year old volleyball players who are like demanding cheeseburgers from their parents now <laughs> because they've heard you say and this. Honestly, at the place there's like, cause around national championships like a bunch of little kids come and like watch like little girls come to watch and there was so many little girls at that restaurant and they're like what the heck is she doing here and I was like hi guys I'm just eating over here over here with my cheeseburger oh my god I love that I tried to I was superstitious as well but it ended up veering into my anxiety which which made it almost worse for me because I was already anxious. And then I was like, if I don't eat the cheeseburger, like I would have been. So I, I had superstitions freshman year, sophomore year, and then I forced myself to, to veer. But I think if I would have known you were doing it with the results you guys were having, I would have been right on board. (laughs) Whatever you have to do, do it. (laughs) I love that. What else do you think separated your team from all of the other teams in the nation? What was the secret sauce? <laughs> Please tell me the secret sauce. Um, I honestly, I think like our practices, like, yes, we came and competed and like, we like worked really hard, but yes, we also made mistakes, but like, we were like so goofy and we took it seriously, but like sometimes from the outside, like you wouldn't think we're taking it seriously. Does that make sense? So you guys were having fun. Yeah, like- a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> and we didn't like, yeah, we like knew we were good and like knew like what we could do, but at the same time, we're like, okay, like, let's go to practice. Most of the time, sometimes it was like, okay, like, let's go to practice. This isn't going to be a fun day, but most of the time it's like, okay, like I enjoy practice. And I think that was kind of the secret sauce is that most of our team just like really liked volleyball. And I know that's not always common. Some people just like are there because they got a scholarship or like they're there because people want them to play but that wasn't my experience at all. I guess I'm now I'm a little confused. I want to dive in more because this is sounds a little bit different than the the practices are hard, things are stressful, like kind of what we were talking about in the beginning. So what's the yeah. happy medium? 
yes, practices were hard. And like, sometimes like I didn't, like we didn't want to be there. And sometimes it was really tough to like get going and you would be, but then like someone would joke and it was like, for like that place and then be hard on yourself again. And then someone would crack a joke. Okay. And so there's like a back and forth, I guess, which probably is not that healthy now that I'm looking at it. But I think it like worked for us. I don't know. Cause all of us were super intense, but all really enjoyed it. So I to like find me. But I feel like that is healthy. Having a coping mechanism that's unanimous for the team, which is humor. I yeah. think that's probably a good thing. Yeah. I, honestly. Yeah. I think that is what, cause I don't, if we didn't have that, I think a lot of us like just like wouldn't be happy or like would be kind of miserable on the court. And like would get in our inside our heads too much because a lot of us were very like we like thought about things way too much. Um, and so like that like little ounce of humor like kind of got us out of it. Can you remember the funniest thing that someone once said or the moment that it it hit the best for you guys? I think this is bad. It came my senior year and it was like a really hard practice. And like we were playing this game. I honestly forget what it's called, but like you had like each attacker had to get a certain number of kills like in order to move on and it was just like a grueling game and everybody knew the ball was going to you and so like you had like everybody stacked up against you and then no one even said anything but like a ball was like rolling in the background and we're like Kevin like watch out there's a ball and then he stepped on it and absolutely ate it like fell <laughs> on his butt and we're like oh my gosh and honestly a lot of the funny things like the really funny things happened at the end of practice to where like we couldn't even like continue playing because all of us were laughing so hard like one time one of my teammates like a serve hit the net and like trickled over and she was going to get it but it touched the tape and so it like hit her butt and like was a perfect pass by her butt and we're like oh my gosh and so we like just had to end practice because we're like we cannot focus like this isn't this isn't going to be good and productive I love that you guys are able to laugh at yourselves. I think the joy of the game is what gets lost for so many players. And holding on to that in the smallest way possible is so important. And it's something I hope more coaches acknowledge and want to cherish as well. Because I can't, I'm sure you agree with me, like, Playing five minutes of tennis in the beginning of practice just gets me to a place where I'm like, let's serve, receive. Let's go, baby. Like, whereas if we just walk in and go straight to serve, receive, I'm like, bury me. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. And our team like broke up because serve, receive is like so mental and it's just like all you pretty much. Like if you don't get a great pass, it's probably like on you, which is a crappy feeling. And I, I probably, I know you felt it. I felt it. All passes out there felt it. But like we like broke it up into smaller like sections. And so like we broke it up and then would like have a game when we went back to server seed and then we would have like another like competitive game. And so that helped me for sure. Because if we just had to pass like all the way, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. <laughs> it yeah, it definitely depends on the mindset. Like if you're working on technique and no one's statting you, I'm down to pass for an hour. But if I'm getting statted, let's let's give a breather. On the topic of serve receive, on the topic of Stanford being a libero, I mean, I, we have to talk about Morgan Hens. She's just so good. What was it like having her in the gym every day? Do you think that made you a better hitter, having someone who could 
hold their own defending you day in and day out. I mean, she's just godly. Like, do you just watch her play and you're like, how? Most of the time, all of us were like, how the heck did she do that? Like, a lot of the times, or I guess like a quarter of the time, our coach would like put her on the opposite side as a starter so like we could like hit against her. Um, And a lot of the times, like you, like nine out of 10 people, like the ball would go down and it would be like no problem. Her literally every time you just be like what the heck like how did she do that like that worked on everybody else and so it definitely she was like very frustrating to play against just because she like would like, expose all of your like shots that you think normally work and she knew what, what everybody was doing and so I was like oh my god it's like she had like a little like calendar in the back of her head like oh my god she did that last week this is what she's gonna do on this point and I was like what the heck um when she was on the same side as you she is really intense, but I think that's like what makes her really good. Um, and she holds people very accountable and like, will call you out if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, which I really appreciate and admire in a teammate. Yeah. So even though sometimes like it's not necessarily what you want to hear, like you have to hear it. Um, and I think that's what helped us a lot. Especially someone like her definitely probably can do that because she is holding up her side. And I think my biggest thing is if you're playing great, fine, tell me to pick it up. But if you're not playing great, I don't want to hear it. Fix your game and I'll fix my game. And she's definitely someone who you would respect telling other people to, you know, to step it up. On this topic of exposing shots and weakness within the team, were there any weaknesses or big issues that you guys knew was a tender spot for the team, but maybe the rest of the world didn't know. And I can give an example because this question is kind of weird, but my freshman year when we were the number one seed, our big secret was literally if one person in the lineup goes down, we don't have a replacement. Like we did not have a replacement. And so we always feared like if one player is gone. Like that is everything. We didn't have the subs, so, and, but that was our secret, right? Like no one knew that that was a thing, but we did. Did you guys have that? Honestly, the same thing kind of happened my senior year. Like we were like deep, but then everybody started to get hurt. And then we're like, we literally have nobody on the bench. Like, even if we could like put you in, we, there's nobody left. Um, cause everybody just kept getting hurt. And my senior year, like Morgan and Megan, like they didn't practice for like three, but they were still playing games. And so like, nobody knew that. The one thing I would say, it necessarily wasn't like player wise. I think it was more like personality wise that people didn't necessarily know. Like if we got in a match like big time, or we just kept making errors. And I think this happens with every team. So it's not necessarily a secret, but we, this was something that we always tried to work on. Like we like started to like separate from each other and then play like after that. We worked on that so much. And I think we did a really good job in the end of my career, like figuring out how to make that work. But especially me, like I was probably the worst at it. Like when I started messing up a lot or like making a lot of mistakes, like I would just go so internal and like, it'd be over. Like, I'd be like, I can't do anything right wait, whatever you said to me, like, you're just pissing me off. Like, shut up. Like, I wouldn't say that, but like how I acted may, I think made my teammates feel that way, which I know is not okay at all. And that like everybody else like had their thing that like, I knew when they were panicky, but the other team didn't necessarily know that. And so like, we kind of like hit heads a bunch, Uh, but I don't know if other teams do that. Does that make sense? 
That definitely makes sense. And I think it might come from you guys being so rock solid and so great that when you're uncomfortable and you're like, whoa, we're losing the first set. This never happens. Then you're kind of like, well, what's the plan? Because <laughs> we did not prepare for this. <laughs> yeah, I think that was something that like we really worked hard on. And like we weren't perfect with it, but we got all better out throughout my career. And yeah, there were some times when like people had to pick me up or I had to pick someone else up. Like, come on, like we're okay. Like, let's just keep moving. But I think it, it, like it's, it's a thing that definitely progressed throughout my career for sure. Finishing up this wonderful conversation, which I've loved so much. So thank you for everything you've shared because this has been super cool. Once again, as like a volleyball junkie, I just feel like I could talk volleyball for hours. Do you feel that way? Or are you like, no, let's leave it on the court. I could talk about volleyball forever. Everyone who plays volleyball, I think, can talk about volleyball forever. I think there needs to be a reality TV show. I'm waiting for it. It could be like Dance Moms, but volleyball. I've always think of like the team drama I've experienced, the different cultures. Like if that was filmed, wow, we could be the next cheer on Netflix. Does your boyfriend like like to talk about it? Like volleyball stuff? Yes, but he's so annoying because he's like, don't buy into that crap. Don't buy into what they're saying. Like he's the mature outlook. And I'm like, no, I need you to sit here and tell me that I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I, I I feel the same. And like, I'm trying to like teach my boyfriend, like what all the sets are. And like, this is like a go, this is a red, this is a bit. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Like he'll like watch film. He's like, this is what that is. And like, you're completely wrong. Like so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they can't understand the game. Like if I dig a ball, my family's like, that was amazing. I'm like, that was the worst dig ever. It was like in the middle back position, like the setter where we only have one hit right now. It's the Bic. Like, you know, they don't get it. They just see ball up. <laughs> How have you been finding your identity outside of sport? And what has that been like, especially now with the pandemic? We're not playing as much volleyball with Stanford volleyball being over. I don't know if you similarly feel weird as me. Like I I put on the sweatshirt and I'm like, I feel so old, but it's only been a few months. (laughs) What has that transition been like? And are you excited to kind of graduate a little bit from that reputation? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, like my shift was like pretty abrupt just because I like graduated in December and then started playing in like another country where like they didn't like who I was. They just knew American, which was like cool, but also like I was like just like a month before I was playing college volleyball and like in it and like our team just won. And so that was like on the top of my mind. And then when I went over to Italy, like they didn't give a crap. Like they didn't know what just happened. And so it was like a weird dynamic. You're obviously a very humble person, but was that humbling? Did you like kind of being incognito or did you feel pressure to prove yourself? Honestly, both. I think I liked trying to prove myself and like trying to get it, but also there was inherent pressure just because like you were the new kid. The team had been playing for five months already. Everybody had their spot and like you were kind of trying to like disrupt that. Um, so it like felt a little awkward. You're like, hey, I like I want to play this game, and so like it was. I played. I got there on like the 17th, and I played in the game on the 19th, and it was just like very weird. I felt like I was like disrupting the vibe. But I think obviously the situation with the pandemic has been like unique because we haven't necessarily gotten to play volleyball or like be seen throughout like the volleyball community like how I would usually. So like I'm on the national and I'm training now, but I wasn't for most of the summer. And so if it was a normal summer, like I would be playing the whole summer, but now I've gotten to talk with club teams, like talk with college teams and like make 
myself as like a person more known than myself as a player, I guess. Cause like people can see like what I did on the court throughout my four years at Stanford, but like they didn't necessarily know like what got me there. And so I, I was able to talk with teams and talk with coaches. Okay. Yeah. This is like what helped me. This is me as a person. This is what I do off the court. And so I think that kind of me separate a little bit from it, I guess. And that part of it is so important. And I just love hearing these little things about you, like hanging out with the baseball boys and loving country music. Are there any other fun facts or things that people don't know about Catherine? Oh, goodness. I'm obsessed with makeup YouTube. Give me a makeup artist. I'm like, I'm all for it. Can you do makeup or do you like watching? Oh, only watching. Like, I can't do makeup, really. I just like to watch it and like see people do it. I love to like watch influencers on Instagram like you and Sean Johnson. Do you know who Sean Johnson is? I love her. You follow her family. Oh, they're so cute. And a girl named Mallory Irvin. I follow her too. And they're just like so positive and I love it. And they like talk about real stuff and their lives with them. And so that's kind of allowed me to see like what life after volleyball could be like. What Sean Johnson's done is super cool. She's still so relevant. She still does gymnastics. She actually, I'm so glad you brought that up. She's been an inspiration to me because I sometimes feel like, yeah, I'm removed from the sport, but I look at her and I'm like, like, she hasn't played in like 20 years, Um, but she's still absolutely killing it. And I look at her and think she's a gymnast and I love when she posts about that stuff. So I'm totally with you on that. Yeah, I love her. Her daughter is so cute too. I know. I know. And then I get like baby fever. I'm like, Catherine, you're 21. Slow down. Come on. So are you doing, you're, were you doing long distance with your bae? I was. Yeah. So he's a year older than me in school. So like my senior year, he was in New York. And then before I went over to Italy, I was like in New York for a month. And then I left for Italy. I came back in March, but I couldn't see him until June. And so I was like January to June. We didn't see each other. Then we saw each other for a little bit. The last couple of weeks, we've gotten to see each other because he was in San Diego. But then now we won't see each other for like five months. And so it's back and forth. Yeah, yeah. It is a lot. But a lot of the pro volleyball players, I'm sure the ones you know too, have all had to do that. Yeah. Because it sucks that we have to leave the country to pursue what we love. But I love you guys. You're the cutest. <laughs> I love how we kind of started on that and now we're, we're ending on that. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing everything that you did today. I just had a great time speaking with you. You're so cool. Everyone I know who knows you just says you're the nicest, kindest person, and you're such a fierce volleyball player. So it's everything. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun to talk to you. If you enjoyed this episode of RealPod, don't forget to subscribe and review and rate this podcast. If you are enjoying it, please leave a review. Please give it a rating and subscribe so that you are the first to listen every single Wednesday. And if you enjoyed hearing from Katherine Plummer, you can follow her on Instagram at Katherine Plummer. And you can keep up with her journey and her professional experiences overseas as she plays in Italy. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I loved Catherine. Was so grateful for her time and everything she shared today. I will see you guys back here next Wednesday once again. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And you can also follow the show on Instagram at RealPod. All right. As always, go out there, attack life, and keep it real.